0: Um, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. They didn't know what they were doing, and they definitely didn't know that they were in the middle of making history. What they did know is that they were just obeying God. I don't even think they were trying to make history. I don't even think they were doing anything intentionally to change the world. But somehow God took the seed of their obedience, and he breathed on it. And out of their obedience, probably the most, if not the second most important church of all Christianity was birthed from them. The church in Antioch. It is from this church that you and I actually now have our faith. We don't actually have our faith from the church in Jerusalem, which mostly was filled with the Jews. But we have our faith because of the work that happened in Antioch, which was filled with people like you and me of which probably none of us here are Jews. They didn't know what they were doing. The wonderful thing about this, or rather the weird thing about this, no one knows who started this church. There's no names attached to it. No one has any idea who these cats were. The only thing that they know is that Luke, when he's trying to describe the people who started this church, he he gives them a label, a very honorable label, and he titles it, Them. Them did it. Them are the people who planted the church in Antioch. No one knows who they were. No no apostles, no prophets, no titles, nothing. Just them. That's all it is. Uh, in, In the world we live in, We so trained and praised when we stand out or stand up above everybody else. But what if sometimes, like the story we're about to read, we discover that there is actually power in them? There's power where we, when sometimes we don't stand out, but we stand together. We're in the middle of a REACH series, and uh, once or twice a year, we actually preach sermon series that have nothing to do with you as an individual and have everything to do with us as a people. This is one of those. Everything that has to do with them, how God has favored them, God has called them, God has missioned them, God has graced them, and so I hope you are part of them today. That you don't find your highest praise in your individuality. But somehow you can, you can find yourself in a place where you know that you are part of them. Today I want to look at how God uses them. Wouldn't mind turning with me to the book of Acts chapter 11 verse 19 to 30. I might not get to do this too many times, so if you wouldn't mind, could you stand with me as we read the word? I'm going to read it for you out loud. Acts 11 verse 19 to 30 says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. And he exhorted them Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his or her ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Paul. Father, thank you for your word. Pray for your grace to hear it this evening. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you. I want to talk to you today, as I said, about the power of them, how God uses them. The church of Antioch is birthed out of chaos. It's birthed Out of Acts 7, where Stephen, who was a man full of spirit, full of wisdom, full of power, loved the poor, served the poor, preached the gospel, was reaching out to those far from God, Stephen gets stoned. The religious people decide to make an example out of Stephen for everybody who is following the way. You who are so crazy in love with Jesus, this is what will happen to you if you carry on doing this. So they take Stephen and they stone him. Now I know you and I are desensitized to shooting a little bit. Why? Because we see it all the time on TV. But can you imagine for a moment what it feels like or looks like to watch someone getting stoned to death? How many stones do you think it took to kill him? How many expressions did he, did he exude out of his mouth? As he endured the pain of people throwing stones at him. And so people, rightfully so, decided, all right, either out of fear or a measured response, let's pack our bags and leave Jerusalem. I I don't know how God does this, but for whatever reason, God has a tendency of using chaos as a canvas to paint his masterpieces. He just does. All the way from Genesis to Revelation. All the way in church history, we watch over and over and over again how God takes chaos and uses it as a canvas to do his great work. You see, you and I, we treat chaos differently from God. The reason why we treat it differently is that we are not all-knowing or all-powerful. So we have two responses to chaos. We either run away from it and escape, or out of frustration, we try and fix it, breaking whatever we need to break along the way. Because it has to be fixed. It's wrong. But God is different from you and I. God, because he's all-knowing, all-powerful, does not run away from chaos, nor does he try and fix it. Instead, God makes, makes things beautiful out of chaos. He's just that wise. He's just that powerful. He's not intimidated by chaos, but he uses it to make things beautiful. I don't know what's happening in your life, what chaotic situation you're in, but maybe God is preparing a masterpiece in it, in you. Crafting something that will be beautiful. So this church now is scattered. They are running away from Jerusalem. And while they are running away from Jerusalem, they start preaching the same message that got them in trouble in Jerusalem. Why? Why would you do that? I wouldn't do that. If I was trying to run away from the persecution, I would make sure I find a city and hide. But here and again, we see the power of them. You see, if I'm going alone, I can hide. But if I'm going with them, there's always that weird person in the group who's like, you know we need to preach now, right? No, 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 we don't need to. You know, we, they killed. No, you remember Jesus said, go. Preach the gospel to every creature. And you're like, okay, okay. So what happened. The power of them. All of a sudden, the people who walked away from Jerusalem, scattered, maybe afraid, whatever it is, they begin to preach the same message that got them into trouble. They begin to preach the same message to Jews, only Jews. Up until this point, only God-fearing, Old Testament-reading people, Jews rather, had received the gospel. No one had gone to the bad people. No one had gone to the pagans. Who, who not only didn't know the Old Testament, but did not fear God whatsoever. So here they are. They start preaching to people. They're they, they declaring this. What would make you preach if you knew this could probably get me killed? See, I've thought about this for a while. I used to think that the reason why they preached is because they were filled with courage. I beg to differ today. Uh, a friend of mine, and, um, two of them actually, went on a holiday recently. They both turned 40 years old, and so they went to Italy to go watch the Grand Prix. Now, lest you think I have many friends who go to Italy to go watch the Grand Prix, no I don't. Uh, Cape Town and Durban, that's kind of where I roll. Um they went to Italy to go watch the Grand Prix. They left their kids behind. And like any good parent, when your kids ask you, in Italy, mom and dad, when you go there, please bring us gifts. Like any good parent, you spend all the money on yourself and you buy them something at the airport. And so they did. And so they got to the uh, airport and they bought them juice. <laughs> True story. True um, In fact, these parents I'm talking about are in this building right now. Okay? So uh, they bought juice. They come home. They see the kids. The kids are excited to see them, you know. And they said, all right, listen, we bought you gifts from Italy. Kids are like, yay. They're like, we bought you juice. Kids are like, no. (laughs) They're like, no, wait, 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 wait. This is special juice. You see? You want this juice because this is a dad now telling the kids, if you drink this juice, you will speak Italian. <laughs> True story. Automatically you can tell that the parent was Posa, right? <laughs> 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 you you will speak Italian, my friends, if you drink this special juice. So what do those kids do? <laughs> So they took that juice and they, they man, they preserved that thing. They're just taking slow sips. Why? They wanted the Italian to go deep. You know what I mean? They didn't just want shallow, you know, buongiorno. They wanted it to go deep all the way. So for whatever reason, they're taking sips and sips. And they take him so long to drink this magical juice that the parents forget that they had told them that, yo, you will speak Italian. After some time the youngest one gets to his last sip. I can just see his eyes just like
1: Ah-ha!
0: He hits it and then he goes and he stands up in front of the whole family and he goes, "Dumelang!" <laughs> yes. Listen, every single one of you need a dumelang kind of faith. Trust me, you do. You need the kind of faith that when the one you love tells you this is how it's going to be, you believe them. That there's such a profound conviction in you that makes you step out when other people might think you are absolutely ridiculous because the one you love told you so. That's what happened. I'm convinced that the reason why a fearful people continue to preach a gospel that would possibly later killed them is that they knew what it was like to be loved by jesus they knew what it was like see we preach the gospel not as an act of courage but as a response of gratitude that's why we preach it we're not trying to prove we we are courageous by telling people about jesus we're trying to tell the world that we are grateful for what He has done in us. So good. Acts 4 verse 13 puts it in a particular way. Here's what it says. When they saw, this is earlier on in the book of Acts in the early church. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Do you hear the undertone in this? Here's what he's saying. He's saying when we saw Peter and John, we we saw courage on the outside. We were confused as to why they are courageous because only intellectual people should be courageous. They're unschooled. They're not intellectual. So why on earth do they think they have the right to be confident? In fact, the word ordinary there comes from the Greek word idiotis. It's where we get the word idiot from. I'm not trying to be weird right now, it's true, it's there. When they looked at them, they saw Peter and John and they realized that they were courageous idiots. And they were astonished. How do these unschooled, unlearned people have so much courage? But here's how, this is what they ended up concluding. They have courage not because of their intellect but because of their relationship. They have courage because of the one who loves them, because of the one they spend time with. For whatever reason, this love has created in them bravery. That's why they preach the gospel. So, why do we, or rather, how does God use them? He uses them to preach. The good news of the Lord Jesus out of gratitude. It is why, Our churches must be Christ-centered. They must all point to Jesus. They mustn't point to an individual. They mustn't point to a system or a structure. They must all point to Christ. They must be Christ-centered because of the message that we preach, that it is all about the Lord Jesus. And we preach Him because we have experienced His love, and we are grateful for it. Thus, we tell the world about it. Point number two, how God uses them. The wonder of a city. The people have scattered and now they found themselves in different cities and some of them go to Antioch, pagan of pagans kind of city. It is, it is filled with multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-religious kind of people. Indians, uh, Africans, Greeks, Jews, all of them found refuge in Antioch. It was the uh, third largest city in the whole of the Roman Empire, and it was the home of the military of the Roman Empire. So you can imagine the wealth, the economic uh, vibrancy, the, the culture that is at play. And these people go in here in a place that is filled with pagan practices and they begin to preach the gospel. And when they begin to preach the gospel, they're amazed at how many people actually go, hey, we want this Jesus. And a great number of people got saved. So much so that the church in Jerusalem, filled with all the apostles, all the famous folks, They decide to send Barnabas down to to Antioch. They weren't sending Barnabas to Antioch to go help the church. They were sending him down there to go check it out. How legit is this thing? So he gets there, and the Bible says when Barnabas got there, what did he see? He saw the evidence of the grace of God. I've always thought that when Barnabas got there, he saw the evidence of the grace of God in the church. But I want to propose to you this evening, that's not all that he saw. Because the Bible tells us that not only did the people believe, but they turned. I'm so grateful that many of you believe, but I hope that all of you have turned. That's when things begin to happen. That's when we begin to change a culture of a city from the inside out. It's not when we have more believers. It's when we have more people who are turned up. When we have more people who have turned to Jesus, their lifestyle has changed because of their belief. It is wonderful to believe. But like Zacchaeus, your belief must lead you to go, hey, I stole from you, here it is, four times more. And a people, a group of people's life get changed because someone didn't just believe, but they turned. And so here in Antioch, they believed and turned. So when Barnabas comes in, he doesn't see the grace of God purely just in the numbers of people getting saved and in the amount of people that are in the church. But when he walks into Antioch, he he sees it is different out here. For whatever reason, the lives of people have changed. I can see the evidence of the grace of God even in the city. What, What would it be like when people come to Joburg? And when they come in, instead of all the things that they've heard about Joburg, they begin to go, "Whoa, we can feel, see the evidence of the grace of God in this city." It only happens if people have turned and they are beginning to live out their faith. It's at this point that the Bible tells us that not the Christian, not the believers, but the pagans, those who did not know God, who completely rejected God, are the ones who would call the believers Christians for the very first time. It wasn't the saved people. Uh, Jesus used to call them disciples or friends. The, The church, the early church, used to call each other believers, or a more common word would be followers of the way. But the pagans decided to call these people Christians. Why on earth would they do that? You and I know... We have our own description of what the word Christian is. It might not be the same as what they thought when they said it. Antioch was known as a city that would give people nicknames. It was out of mockery. In all likelihood, when they gave them the word Christians, it wasn't out of honor. It was a mocking term for them, initially at least. Do you know why? Because the word Christian, literally Christianos, literally means a slave of, a follower of Christ. So here's what they saw. When when the pagans were in the city and they saw the Christians gathering together, when they saw them, they realized when the Christians got together, all class and culture broke down. We need to find a way to describe them because all of a sudden, rich and poor people loving each other it makes no sense these are those obsessed ones these are those slaves to christ so it came from but another thing started to happen you see antioch didn't just have walls on the outside of the city to protect itself from its enemies but it also had walls inside there were so many cultures in Antioch that they put up walls so that there would be peace between one culture and another. You had the Africans, Hakumaye, Hakumaye. You had, you had the, the Jewish people doing their own stuff. All that You didn't want to get the cultures offending each other and causing turmoil inside Antioch. So what did they do? They began to create these demarcations inside the city so that there would be peace. But here's what they saw. The pagans started seeing people jumping over the walls. They couldn't understand why people were jumping over the walls to go worship with people different from them. They couldn't fathom why would you jump over the wall. And they had to find a term for the people who jumped over the wall. Because they couldn't just call them Jews anymore. They couldn't just call them Greeks or Africans or Indians. They had to give them another name, because they had become counterculture in the whole system of Antioch. And so what did they do? These must be slaves of that guy called Jesus. They must be so obsessed that they're willing to give up what they've always known for the sake of Jesus. And so, my friends, is birthed the wonderful name. Christians. I, I, I hope we go back to that definition. Yeah. That we ourselves begin to act out of pure obsession that people go, this is slavery. This is, this is, this is, this is that kind of stuff. It broke all their paradigms. You see, when, when the gospel comes into our lives, and the Bible said the hand of the Lord was upon them. When the, when, when the gospel comes into your life and the Spirit of God empowers you, he helps you to be countercultural in the life that you're in, in the city that you're in. We don't just preach the gospel, we don't just go into a city and be countercultural, but also there's one more thing that we do. But before I get there, maybe something that will help you understand the impact of being cult- countercultural. Um, when I was a bit younger, I used to play rugby in, uh, in primary school, high school. I was part of the under-15 C team. It was a great team. It was a wonderful team. We, we were playing rugby in Queenstown against Queens College. Now, I'm from Southern College, so you automatically know who won the game. And so we were, we were playing against them And I mean, the the match was good, the match was intense, but they had this one guy who they nicknamed Bototo. Now, you know, if someone gets a nickname like that, they are massive, probably over age for under 15. This guy was massive, man, massive, his thigh, the size of my chest, just big, scary. I had been intentionally working hard, purposefully avoiding him the whole game. But for whatever reason, it's close to half time. I'm by the sideline and they pass the ball to him, and it's me and him. I do a quick glance. There's nobody else to save me. It's me and Pozotzo. It's rough. This guy, they pop him the ball. He is running to me. Everything in me is going, run, run, run. But the only reason I am not running is when I looked to my right. My friends were there, and the girls from the neighboring school were there as well. I had a choice. Single or death. Single or death. I had to quickly decide. I had to figure out, what do you want, Lord? And so I thought, fine. If I'm going to guard, let me guard like this. And so he came, popped him the ball. He came towards me, and I'm thinking, ah. And I remember the coach said, Don't take him high if he's big. Take him low. Michelle Obama, right? So I did. And so that's what I did. I just went down, closed my eyes, felt his knee on my head, and I quickly just lashed on his legs and tackled him, and he went down. Boom. Now listen. Listen. It was painful. It was scary. But it was worth it. Do you know Why? Because all the girls clapped. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Do you understand what I am telling you today? Okay. It was worth it. It will all be worth it when, after years of preaching, years of living counterculturally, years of taking care of the poor, Years of living intentionally in community. Years of spending time in the Word and courageously stepping out when everyone else is staying in. Years of that. It will all be worth it when we turn around to Joburg and we see people who weren't worshiping before now worshiping Jesus. That is the ultimate of all missions and church planting. Worship is the beginning and the end. Of missions. It is the beginning of the end or and the end of what we call evangelism. We we evangelize, we plant churches, we do missions because in our worship we realize how wonderful he is. But we also do it for the pure reason that they will worship. That they will worship. It will all be worth it to be spirit-empowered and live counterculturally. Last point is this is that not only did the city now gain wonder, but there was a resolve in the disciples. Barnabas realizes how many people are getting saved. He realizes that people are turning, and it's crazy and amazing. So what does he do? He goes to a neighboring town where he finds a guy called Saul. Now again, watch the beauty of God in his wisdom and in his majesty. Saul is the guy in Acts 7 when they were killing that guy, Stephen. He was the guy who was orchestrating all of that. Saul gets saved and we're going to watch in Acts 13. Saul becomes the first missionary sent by the church of Antioch. God in his majesty makes all things beautiful in his time. He brings Saul in. Him and Saul decide they're going to spend a whole year in Antioch. And they start teaching the new converts. They start teaching the people there. And they get stronger in the faith. they belief gets stronger. they turning gets more steadfast. They encouraged them in the Lord. And and out of nowhere, the church in Jerusalem realizes, whoa, this church in Antioch is legit. Let's send some prophets to them. The prophets come, and one of them stands up in a meeting. His name was Agabus. Now, you know, if someone's name is Agabus, they're not going to give you a great prophetic word. Like, you know automatically this is not going to be good. And sure enough, he does. Hey, famine is coming to the whole of the Roman Empire. That's what he says. And them, them respond weirdly one more time. They begin to take up money. The Bible says each according to their ability. They begin to take up money. Bear in mind that the the famine was over the whole of the Roman Empire, including Antioch. But they begin to take up money not for Antioch, but for Judea. Something had happened in them. It was, it was more than just about them. So Do you know how prominent Antioch was? Do you know how wealthy Antioch was? See, you and I one day will have to tell God what we did with the privilege we had living in Joburg. We don't live in places of deep, profound devastation. Regardless of your race, the fact that you're here, knowing the places where you could have been, ah, you are privileged. And as a result of where God has chosen to send you, you better have a heart that is bigger than your needs. You have to. He didn't send you here for yourself. He didn't scatter the disciples so that they might find safety and refuge. He scattered them so that they would go and reach the lost people. And when they got there in Antioch, their hearts were so changed that the people who were so consumed by their own idols and and their own selves began to have compassion for other cities. They took the wealth that was there and they gave it to other cities and rural areas. So what happened to the poor in Antioch? Well, what historians tell us is that not only did they try to continue giving to the poor, but because they'd taken all this money to give it to the people in Judea, they began to take in the poor into their homes. They took them in. When the people of Antioch began to throw the poor people out who needed food and they were stuck in famine, it is the Christians It is the slaves of Jesus who actually went and found the poor and made them family. That's what they did. That's what they did. Paul, or Saul rather, was so impacted by this that in Galatians 2, he says this, verse 17. Verse 9, sorry. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars... Perceived the grace of God that was given to me, soul speaking. They gave the right of hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, the pagans, the people who are, are not God-fearing. And they too, uh, and they to the circumcised, the Jews. Only they asked us to remember the poor, and here's what Paul says, the very thing I was eager to do. Paul saying, when I had plans to go into the mission field, when I had plans to plant churches... I was not only eager to help people see Christ. I was not only eager to live uh, counterculturally, but I was eager to find the poor and serve them. I was eager to do that. It is why we, as every nation, churches, we want to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and socially responsible. Because when we are Christ-centered, people come to Him it, out of gratitude to the, uh, for what Jesus has done for us. When we are Spirit-empowered, we begin to live a life that's countercultural. And when we are socially responsible, we begin to own the needs of our city. Yeah. That's what they did. They owned it. It was theirs. So interesting that when, when, when God chooses to send prophets to them through the church of Jerusalem, the first word that they get is... About the poor. The first word that this church gets is about the poor. How important are the poor to us? How important, how how are we willing to change the rhythm of our lives for the sake of those who are poor? Do you know that the poor come to cities the most? Because they come to cities because they are trying to break out of their poverty. And so as Joburgers, we we are privileged and responsible because many poor are coming to our city. We can't put walls and lock them out. We have to grab a hold of the responsibility to care for them and to empower them. But I want to put a caveat here before I close. You can take care of the poor and alleviate them from the pain of poverty. But if you don't give them the gospel, they will be imprisoned to something else. I can, I can take away your poverty and give you comfort. And all of a sudden, comfort becomes your idol. Isn't that the idol in Joburg? Oh, does it mean we don't care for the poor? No, it means we care more intently for the poor. Right? We care more deliberately for the poor. Because of the gospel, we make our lives uncomfortable for the sake of the poor. But with the gospel, we, we allow the poor to be free from all things. All things. Not just some. Close of the story. And I'll take a knee. Um... Early on in the year, Marsh and I were coming from Adebe, my rural home, and we were coming to Joburg. When we were leaving the, the rural place, we drove past a school, broken down school. No one is using it. And, and we carried on driving down through a uh, past a graveyard. And on the other side of the graveyard was an old, old church. No one is using it. We got into the main road and started to make our way to, to East to, to catch a flight. And here's what I said to Marsh. I said, Marsh, this is why we need to plant a church in Joburg, because that church needs to reach this place. That's what it needs to do. We need to go to the wealthiest part of the city, let the gospel preach to people's lives, live counterculturally, and pray that by the Spirit of God, lives will be so changed that those who are consumed by themselves become consumed by the mission. And purposes of God for the broken. Listen. This is what we're called to do. This is what God did to them. It's how God used them. How do you respond as them today? In your own way, in your own time. How do you become more Christ-centered, more spirit-empowered, more socially responsible? as a spiritual family. How do we do that? I'm going to end the sermon by sharing some exciting news. Um, Let me pause aside. You're going to come up later to, to... Okay, great. Um, sharing some exciting news. Uh, for years, Marsh and I have been praying, uh, feeling like God wanted us to go plant a church, and we mentioned this earlier on in the year. And can you show the picture of our team? And earlier on, this team, only like two of them are idiotes. Everyone else is quite intellectual. Um, but this team, for the last kind of two months or so, we've been praying together, uh, dreaming together around Uh, this city and beginning to plan and prepare for this church plant starting in 2020. Now, actually, the church plant has already started. And the next phase of where we're at right now is inviting citywide churches here in Johannesburg, part of every nation, to say, hey, if you want to be a part of this, we would love for you to join as we go into the greater Bryanston area and preach the gospel and create that uh, counterculture in there and serve the poor. And so I'm going to play you a quick video and uh, hopefully you can uh, pray and partner with us in any way God uh, leads you to. Thank you.
1: Greetings everyone, Marsh and Siv here coming to you from Every Nation Rosebank with an exciting announcement
0: as our citywide church, we are excited to let you know that we will be planting a church out in the Greater Bryanston area in January, 2020.
1: As a global movement, every nation is passionate about planting Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, socially responsible churches and campus ministries. So as we go, we are expected to see lives, communities, and society transformed through discipleship in the Word, presence, and power of God.
0: We're passionate about knowing God and making him known. We're passionate about seeing the name of Jesus and the fame of Jesus spread throughout this great city of Johannesburg, by proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus, by serving the least of these, just like Christ served us, by loving our family, our spiritual family, and those far from God, and by going into the world, creating for the betterment of all human flourishing.
1: So if there is a stirring in your heart as you are listening to this announcement and you're wondering how you can partner with us as we launch this church in 2020, there are three primary ways that you can be a part of what God is doing. The first is to pray. The second is to give. And the third is to join the team that will be launching this church plant. If you want
0: more information about the Every Nation Bryanston church plant, we would love to hear from you. Visit our website, You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We look forward to advancing the kingdom of God together. All right. Awesome. Um, We're so excited. First of all, Asha, could you stand up? The guy who did the video. What a legend. Yeah, what it is. Thank you, Asha, it was amazing. Hey, I want to thank you, this family. The last five, six years we've been together. What a privilege it has been. Um, my wife and I are not leaving. We're still going to be here for uh, a couple of months. But um, we do have some exciting news that I'm going to ask Pastor Simon in a few minutes to come up and share as to who will be uh, uh, leading uh, the hub uh, service uh, congregation from now on. But before we do that, if you want to pray give, join, or want more information about the Every Nation Brineston Church plan Right now, if you'd mind, take out your phones, all right? If that's you, uh, those of you who feel like this is what you want to do, please take out your phones, where you are, on your URL, not Google, Ndando, on the URL, please type in everynationbrinston.co.za. Let me give you a moment just to do that. On your URL, type in everynationbrinston.co.za. all right? Now, for whatever reason, if you're struggling with your phone um, oh, or any other issues, data issues or whatever it might be, um, <clears throat> no, if you're struggling with your phone, everyone here has got data. Okay, pass aside, don't see that. Uh, we do have uh, sign-up slips with you. So if, if you're struggling on your phone, just lift up your hand and one of the ushers will give you a slip to help you sign up. But once you get on everynationbrinston.co.za, it should look like this. When you get there, pray, give, join, need more information, and we also on social media at the bottom there. You can see it. I'm so excited. So if you click pray, give, join, or need more information, it will allow you to put in your details, and we will get that and be in contact with you soon. So if you aren't able to get online, just lift up your hands, and one of our ushers will give you a card. Is that a hand right there at the back? Right there at the back. Um, she's the lady who went to Italy, by the way. She's out of data now. <laughs> right at the back. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Lewu. <laughs> All right, while you're doing that, Pastor Sai, come and save me up here uh, and come and close this off.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, what was I on? <laughs> good evening, every nation. Great to be here with you tonight. How was that word? Can we give Pastor Sif a round of applause? Great word. Awesome. Uh, we're going to have Sif uh, still come to preach here in Rosebank. Uh, we've got him to sign somewhere that uh, at least once a month, Sif. OK, we'll work, <laughs> we'll work it out. Um, we have been praying, we have consulted, we've been doing all kinds of things uh, to get this leader to lead the hub. And this leader is none other than Gregory Peak. Please come to the front, Greg. <laughs> Great stuff. Awesome. Amen. There we go. We can all stand. We can all stand. All the hub leaders, please come to the stage. All the hub leaders, lay leaders as well. Please, all the hub leaders and lay leaders, please come to the stage. Um, all, all remain standing. Remain standing. We're going to pray just now. But I just want to say... As Siv was speaking about the wonder of the city, it's an important reminder that God has put us here in Joburg for a reason, for a reason. There's a reason why God has put us here in Joburg, is to reach the city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. God has put us here to reach the city with the gospel. So one of the reasons why we do this plant in, in Bryanston is we want to reach the city. We want to get to the city. And every nation, Bryanston is not going to be the only plant we do. We're going to have many more plants because we are here to reach the city. Amen. And next week, you'll hear about also reaching the nation. Some of you may be called to be part of church plants outside Joburg and uh, in other parts of the world. So we're going to give a call to that as well. But as we take this time to pray for Gregory Peak, we're not praying for Seven and Mash because it's not time to go yet. I was trusting the Lord for a word for Greg. And I said to Greg, Greg, this word is going to surprise you as much as it has surprised me. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I mean, I was trusting God for a different word, you know, like... And the, the word of the Lord says, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. We all know that Greg is a prophetic gift, prophetic anointing, a fivefold prophet in our midst. Just this afternoon, we had some people at our house for lunch. And one of the ladies was in tears just talking about how much Greg has mentored the prophetic team. In fact, she, she was supposed to move back to Australia. She refused to move back to Australia because she felt like she's getting something she wouldn't get at her home country. You are appointed and called to be a prophet to the nations, to the nations, Greg. Alas, O sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. That's not your excuse. <laughs> um, just saying. <laughs> you can have other excuse, but not that one. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go everywhere I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you and I'll rescue you, declares the Lord. The Lord reached out His hand and touched my mouth and said to me, "I've put my words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to approve, to tear down, to destroy, overthrow, and to build and plant." I just love this verse twelve. The Lord said to me, "You have seen correctly, for I'm watching to see my word fulfilled." So that that whole prophetic call and gifting that's on Greg we know that he's going to just continue to grow in it and leading the hub may just be for a season but being a prophet to the nation that is his number one call and he's going to start right here being a prophet to the services congregation is going to go beyond the service this congregation to the nations can we stretch our hands over Greg and pray father thank you for this man thank you for how he has served in this house faithfully Lord, even tonight, just trying to find Greg, he was serving, Father God. And Lord, I believe that God, just this gift that he has of servant leadership, I pray that today, God, you will promote him, Father, to the next level, a new mantle of leadership. That, Father God, even gifts that have been lying dormant in him will arise today, Father God. And Lord, even as you've spoken in your word, that see, I have given you a word. Father, you're going to give him a word for the service. You're going to give him a word for every nation, Rosebank. You're going to give him a word for this city, Johannesburg. You're going to give him a word for this nation, South Africa, and for the nations of the world. Father, I pray, and we say we set you apart, Gregory, for the work that the Lord has for you. We set you apart for the work the Lord has for you. Can I ask Masha to pray?
1: Thank you, God. Thank you that you are faithful, that you have gone before Greg in every way, that there is no path that he will encounter, that you have not gone before him concerning. We thank you, Father, for anointing, for for grace. For the ability to see and know and be confident in his inner man, that this is what the Lord is doing. We thank you Father, that even this, this flock, Lord God, would follow hard after Greg, father, that there would be a, a form of support and community around him, encouraging him, speaking faith into him, speaking life into him. Lord God. We thank you that this is something that you are doing, and what a privilege, what an honor. and indeed may the lamb who was slain get his full reward, even in this life. In Jesus'
2: name, amen. 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 One more thing I want to just brag about, Greg. Greg is the longest serving member of this church. How many years, Greg? Greg has been here over 30 years. Eh? Some of you are not yet born, but we understand. And Greg has really been a servant leader in this house. And uh, I believe God is just going to take you from one level of glory to the next level of glory. Amen. Well, bless you, Greg. Blessings. Awesome.